to a Hope 103.2 podcast. I once gave a sermon on Psalm 96, exploring some of the themes we discussed in the previous reflection. God is the Lord of the whole world and all of God's people should do what they can to promote his glory everywhere. Immediately after the talk, a Christian man came up to me and said, Thanks for that, John. I really liked it. But from the tone in his voice, I could tell what was coming next. But isn't it possible, he said, that the one God worshipped by us is the same Lord worshipped in different ways by Buddhists, Hindus and Muslims? Well, in terms of what Psalm 96 teaches, the answer is pretty straightforward. The psalmist insists that the gods of the nations are mere idols, nothingness. Moreover, those who worship such things are urged to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, to bring an offering and come into his courts. That's what Psalm 96 verse 8 says. In other words, those outside of Israel are asked to worship God as he has been revealed to Israel. The fact that they are also urged to come into his courts, the Jerusalem temple, makes clear that from the psalmist's perspective, those without biblical faith are meant to give up their religions and embrace the one God of the Bible. It is very difficult to square this teaching with the idea that the one God worshipped by us is the same Lord worshipped in different ways by Buddhists, Hindus and Muslims. But my friend's question isn't so easily answered. He wasn't asking for more details about Psalm 96. He was wondering out loud what many today have begun to think. Perhaps the religions of the world are different paths up the same mountain. This is the challenge of pluralism. The popular belief that spiritual truth, unlike most other truths, appears in many forms, hence plural, not just one form. Now, there are two forms of pluralism. There's the popular version and the sophisticated version. Both challenge the mission equation I talked about last night and potentially undermine our confidence in the reasonableness of taking the gospel to the whole world. Popular pluralism is the pluralism you meet in the pub or the cafe or the workplace and sometimes even in church. It basically says that all religions teach essentially the same thing. Sure, they differ on what name to give God, Yahweh or Allah, how to approach him in prayer, but basically they agree on the big issues, God's existence, the afterlife, the need for human kindness, and so on. The basic problem with popular pluralism is that in trying to affirm all religions, it pays close attention to none of them. For the most part, the great religious traditions of the world make claims that are entirely at odds with each other. Superficially, they agree. Most of them, for instance, say prayers. But at the most basic level, they tend to refute each other entirely. Let me list some of the more obvious contradictions. Hinduism teaches that many gods or divas exist in the world, each reflecting some aspect of ultimate reality, but nonetheless possessing individual existence. Guru Nanak, however, a one-time Hindu and founder of the Sikh faith, rejected the existence of many gods. He insisted that there was just one god worthy of worship. Siddhartha Gautama, whom we call the Buddha, also rejected Hinduism, but not by proposing the existence of one god. He rejected belief in God altogether, a position still held in classical Buddhism. You don't need a degree in mathematics to see some fundamental contradictions here. If there are many gods, 
there can't be just one. And if there is one God, there can't be many. And if there's no God at all, there can neither be one God nor many gods. Take the central Christian belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the promised Jewish Messiah who died on a cross and rose again. This, as you know, is non-negotiable for Christians. Without it, you don't have a thing called Christianity. But modern Judaism insists that Jesus was not the Messiah, just one of many pretenders to that title. The true Messiah, says Orthodox Judaism, is yet to come. The matter gets more complicated with Islam, since the Quran declares that Jesus neither died on a cross nor was the Son of God. The Quran describes the latter belief as blasphemous. Views on the afterlife are equally contradictory. Hinduism believes in an eternal soul, or Atman, which resides in every human being and other living creatures as well. When we die, that soul passes to another physical life. After many such reincarnations, this soul, if it's worthy, can escape rebirth into the non-material world of Brahman. Now, while people often lump together Hinduism and Buddhism, actually their views on the afterlife are completely different. Classical Buddhism rejects both the existence of the soul and the goal of returning to Brahman. Extinguishment from bodily reality is the hope of Buddhism. The Christian view of the afterlife, with its emphasis on the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, to quote the Apostles' Creed, couldn't be more different from the Buddhist and Hindu view of the afterlife. Many, many other contradictions could be explored, but in reality, you can only insist on the harmony of the great faiths by ignoring what is central to them. Here's the important point for a Christian thinking about world religions. The God who produced the Bible could not possibly be the one who produced the Quran or the Dhammapada, which is a Buddhist text, or the Upanishads, the Hindu scriptures. The portraits of God, of Jesus, and of the afterlife offered in these various sacred books are so contradictory that unless God is not altogether truthful, it's just not possible to maintain the popular form of pluralism. In our next reflection, I want us to look at sophisticated pluralism. Hope 103.2 Thanks for listening.